The reading today is from Acts 17, verses 22 through 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times sent set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he was not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world, when justice by the man, when justice by the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. God bless the reading of his word. Paul, in his ministry, we are told, went to Athens. was causing quite a stir in this great city of intellectuals and uh, was getting a lot of attention. And so they called him before the Areopagus, which is kind of a, an Athenian judicial court. But it was, it was not so much to convict him of anything as much as it was to find out what all this talk was about. It was it was, it was, it seems to me, an act of curiosity as much as anything. What is all this business you're going around talking about? Tell us, tell us more. And Paul begins to deliver a sermon, much like Socrates. In fact, this, this, this uh, scene here is kind of meant to invoke uh, pictures of Socrates teaching in the square and in the Oropagus as well. And uh, Paul stands up and says, I, I come to Athens and I realize that you are such religious people. I look around and there are idols and there are temples. And if you, if you stood where uh, the Areopagus means, which basically it literally means rock of Ares, uh, it's, a, it's a hill where, and it's surrounded by a bunch of, it's like the religious center of Athens. And so Paul looks around and he says, I can see that you are very religious people. You have a, a idols and gods, statues of gods over here. You've got temples on every corner. It sounds like 
Utah, doesn't it? So <laughs> you have all kinds of stuff going on around here. Uh, very religious people. And as I'm walking around enjoying the beauty of this wonderful city, I notice a small, obscure altar dedicated to an unknown God, an unnamed God. And Paul says, this is the God I have been talking about. This is the one who has created you and me. This is the God I have been proclaiming. And this is the God who has made everything. And this God does not need to be served by human hands. This God does not need an idol or a shrine or a temple. For this God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. In other words, Paul is saying, this is not a God you go to this temple to visit. And this is not a God where you go and you leave an offering at a statue. This is a God that is right here, right now, in you, in me, between you and me. And we are that God's offspring. And because of that, we can have this deep, intimate relationship with that God. Paul basically points to these idols and shrines and says, you know what, your gods are just too small. I have to go over here and talk to this God about thunder. I have to go over here and talk to this God about fertility things. And I have to go talk to this God about this or that. Your gods are too small. And this God is too big to be contained within an idol or a shrine. These idols and shrines are inadequate to contain this God. And these idols and shrines are too inadequate to address the human need and what we really need from God and what our real concerns are are from God. You know, we try, we sometimes try to make God smaller. We, it's it's like we bite off bits of, uh, we, we kind of try to define God in particular ways that make sense to us. We try to take this giant idea, this, this God in whom we live and move and have our being, which really it sounds abstract. And so we try to come up with we have created concrete images of God that make sense to us. For example, sometimes we, th- I think, sometimes we think of God as kind of this puppet master, like just going around kind of controlling everything and making, making things happen. Uh, you know, oh, this God, you know, God brings this in, in the way and, and moves that out of the way and brings this person here and moves that person there like a, like a chess master on a, on a board trying to move everyone around. Sometimes we treat God like a genie, as if we, as if, if we, if we rub the lamp right, or if we just say the right prayers, we'll get what we want from God. We can, God will grant us our wishes. Sometimes our prayer life treats God like that. God, I just want, I want this, and if, if I do things right, if I act right, if I'm, if I behave myself, if I give money to the church, if I give, you know, do all these things, then God will give me what I want. As if there's a formula. If I just hit the right formula and get the right words together, God will, you know, God will just let it all flow out there. He's just, God's just sitting back waiting until I get the things right, the, you know, say the right words and things like that. 
Sometimes we keep, think of God as kind of like a scorekeeper. Like, oh, <laughs> Curtis, I saw that. <laughs> I'm writing that one down. <laughs> oh, oh, that was a good one. Okay, I'm taking a good mark over here too. Oh, you did that again. I can't believe you did that again. As if God is just kind of keeping, keeping score. And, and our prayer is that the good things add up to be more than the bad things, right? That's what we're hoping at the end of the day when it all is said and done. Oh, I hope I have enough. It's kind of like high school. Everyone's graduating right now. I see everyone doing a lot of math trying to make sure everything adds up, right? (laughs) As we're graduating from high school. And sometimes, I think what's even worse is sometimes we make God into something so innocuous. Just a kind old man. Doesn't really have much to do with it. I mean, just, just a good... Kind, you know, we, you don't really have to pay any attention to, you don't really have to have anything to do with God. He's just a kind old, kind of like your grandpa. You know, you can visit him on Christmas and Easter and then the rest of the time. You don't really, you don't really have to do, do anything with that God. However, I got to say, the, our experience tells us that these gods are too small. Our experience tells us that these gods are inadequate. We pray and we do all the right things. We rub the lamp and we still don't get our wish. Right? We, we, we hope that, you know, we think God is manipulating things. Then all of a sudden everything goes the direction we didn't expect or, or hope for. And nothing seems to add up. And, uh, you know, we find ourselves just ridden with guilt when we think of God as a scorekeeper and our experiences don't really point us to the loving, caring, accepting, unconditional, outflowing of love God that we talk about here every week and the and it doesn't really our experience doesn't really match the God in whom we live and move and have our being. We often don't tr- don't treat God that way. We recently, as a church, hosted a, a funeral for a young woman, 20 years old, transgendered woman who took her own life. And it's a heartbreaking, heart-wrenching story. And I can tell you this, for Tom and Athena, that girl's parents, the God that we pray to to take care of our children that God doesn't exist for them anymore. That God's not there. That God is dead. The God we pray to that we think is going to move things out of the way or, or, or keep everyone safe. That God doesn't exist for these parents anymore. That God is too small. What Athena and Tom need is a bigger God. A God that can encompass their pain. A God that can take their sorrow. A God that can help them move one day to the next. A God that can be the source of hope that's not dependent on everything going right. They need the God that Jesus knew. That took Jesus through all of His life. Our need to contain God or to minimize God has left us with a rather innocuous figure. We have to push God 
away. We have to push God out there and make God something that we have to, to coax into our reality. There's this notion in our minds that God is somewhere out in the cosmos. And only if we, only if we say the right things or do the right things and only if special occasions does God come out of that realm outside of this reality and into our world down into where we're at. But as Paul points out in his sermon today, indeed, God is not far from each of us. The ancient theologian Irenaeus in 200 wrote, God is in everything, but contained by nothing. And Marcus Bord offers a simple analogy of who God is and what this God is like. And it's like a fish in water. The water is all around the fish. The fish moves in the water, lives in the water, has his being in the water, and yet the water is more than the fish. Likewise, the whole universe is in God, and yet God is more than the universe. Before I get too kind of out there, I just ask, I wonder, what does this leave us with? As we, as we contemplate the fact that God is not out there, but, but right here with us, in our midst, in between us, within us. And if God is not the God we rub the lamp for and ask for wishes, and if God is not the God who takes us out of harm's way, Makes everything work right. Does God just not have anything to do with us? I think that's on the contrary. While God is not the chess master moving the pieces around the board, the God we worship is yet involved. God's divine presence is always there. We don't need to draw God to us. God is already here. Amen? We don't need to wait or get the right formula. God is present with us already. But more than that, the God we worship has intention. And I think Paul gets into that. God has desire for something, has intentionality in being all-encompassing. In other words, God is moving us in a particular direction and moving with us in a particular direction. And the method of this is through God's divine interaction with us. Not intervention like we would want God to do. Where, God, where all of a sudden a truck's careening toward you and a big hand comes down and stops the truck. Right? That's intervention. That's the kind of... Sometimes, I, you know, I like that, God. As long as the intervention's working for me, right? But, uh, <laughs> but the God we worship is a God of interaction more than intervention. God is relational and desires to have a deep and abiding relationship with us. And it is in this relationship to the sacred that changes things. Not God's manipulation, but God's interaction that changes the human heart. So, times of tragedy and sorrow, it's, it's okay to lament that God didn't 
intervene. It's okay to ask, why did this happen? It's even okay to get angry and say, why weren't you there? The word comes back to us. The echo comes back to us. I was there. I am there. I'm here right now. And I will always be there. Your sorrows are my sorrows. Your joys are my joys. Your struggles, I will struggle through those with you. Your excitements will get me excited too. God is that constant companion, that constant fellow who walks alongside says, my strength is yours to have. My courage is yours to gain. There is hope for tomorrow. You know, it's hard to reimagine God, I think. It's been so enculturated into it. You know, television doesn't help, i got to say, in creating images of who God is. It's hard to reimagine a different God. In fact... uh, because what I'm talking about is, is somewhat mysterious and inexplicable, it's hard to replace the concrete with the, the vague <laughs> and unexplainable. And in Paul's situation, as Paul points out, even the unnameable and the somewhat unknown who longs to make God's self known. But sometimes it's just the realization that the God we thought we understood just doesn't match our own experience. Sometimes the reimagining of God is thrust upon us by tragedies like the one I was talking about earlier, like the young woman. And it's in this instance that the God in whom we live and we move, we have our being starts to grow. Starts to become big enough to meet us where we are and to take us where we need to be. Let us pray. God of the universe, God of the vastness, God who is so big, and so large, and whose love goes beyond what we can describe or comprehend. May we nurture a deeper, more expansive relationship with You. May we let go of some of these images that don't match our experience. But may we not let You go completely but imagine You as something bigger. May we always seek to understand Your presence in our lives whom we live and we move. We understand our being. We thank You. In Christ we pray.